Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land I'm recording from, the Yagara and the Turrbal people, as the traditional custodians of Mianjin. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I also acknowledge the traditional owners from all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander lands you are listening from. Just a heads up, the conversations in this podcast are definitely for adult ears only. There'll be explicit language, direct references to body parts, and very non-PG sexual activities. The chats are robust, so steer clear if you're a sensitive listener or if there are kids around. We're not really interested in seeing people's personal sexual behaviours on screen. We want the character, and that's what my work often is, is building what that character behaviour would be with the actor. The minute, yeah, the minute you're like, hey, can you just, like, have some integrity? Some guys are like, yeah, it's too much. You're asking for too much. You're listening to Erotic Stories, the podcast, a companion to the steamy SBS drama series where we bring you conversations, unpacking the themes of the show for each erotic episode. I'm Nadine Schmeling. One night stands. What's the etiquette? Is there a protocol, rules, regulations, or is it all a bit more fluid? And how do you make this look sexy on screen? In this episode, we talk to Christine Kicks, writer, producer, and DJ, about the highs and lows of dating and hookups, and also to Caroline Casper, who brings the steamy to on-screen sex scenes while also managing the awkward factors. She's kind of like a sex mum. Christine Kicks is an award-winning Zimbabwean-Australian audio producer, writer, and radio DJ. In 2021, Christine created and launched Private Affairs, an award-winning romantic dramedy fiction podcast based on a blog about dating and hookups. Christine, welcome officially to the show. Thanks so much, Nidhi. So tell me a little bit about Private Affairs. Yeah, so Private Affairs, um, like you mentioned, is a romantic dramedy fiction podcast. So for people who might not be familiar with the concept, it's like a TV show, but just for your ears. And it, it actually started out as a blog that I was writing. So I had moved uh, from America to Australia and I was really just trying to find a creative outlet and also get to know Melbourne as a city. So I thought, you know, why not date and, you know, why not write about some of my dating experiences? So that was really the genesis of the podcast, but I didn't know I was making a podcast at that stage. I was just blogging about it. Yeah, initially I was like, boo, no one wants to listen to that. But, you know, here we are. And yeah, so essentially uh, the story is looking at trying to navigate some of the hurdles that come up in an intercultural and interracial relationship. Did you wade through a lot of dating apps? Uh, did you do a lot of first date stuff? Yeah, so I didn't um, I didn't set out to go on dates as research, if that makes sense. I was just kind of living my life and just uh, blogging about it. And so that was in a way my research. Mm-hmm. So what makes for a good first date? 
Ah, oh, what makes for a good first date? Okay. Um, Are there any rules? I mean, I think it's so subjective. For me, there has to be vibes. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have to have some kind of chemistry with a person for me to have a good first date. A lot of good conversation, intellectual uh, conversations. Um also good music for me. I love to dance. Being a DJ, music is a big thing for me as well. A nice cocktail here and there. Yeah, just positive vibes, rooftop situations. Yeah, that that's typically what I would go for for like a, a good first date. But it also doesn't have to be expensive. You know, you can go to the park. You can do something that is uh, you know a little bit more accessible. You don't have to drop a lot of money on it. But I think for me, it's mostly about the connection with the person. The connection, the vibe, the atmosphere. Yeah. Are there any first date deal breakers? Yeah, halitosis. Um. <laughs> so brush your teeth, right? Like just. <laughs> yeah. Brush your teeth, people. Um, also tardiness. Like, you know, yes, there's a, there's a grace period that you give people, but unexplained tardiness. For me, I can't at my big age. It's no, I can't do that anymore. Um, oh, yeah, being rude, being rude to staff. Um, yeah, those are probably the the big signs. And also for me, also just like being overly sexual, you know. I think you also just have to know your audience, you know, but if you just read the room, basically right. is what yeah. I would say. Yeah. Have you noticed like a, are there cultural differences between dating here and dating in other countries? Uh, yes. Certainly in regards to sexuality <laughs> or approach. What What's the, the vibe? Yes. What's the difference between here and somewhere else? Uh, here, I don't know. Okay. People don't come at me when I say this, <laughs> but I feel like men in Australia, and of course I'm generalizing, this is not all the men in Australia. Okay. Let me preface by saying that. But I feel like um, men here are a bit passive. Right. And I don't know what that's about. I feel like my love life uh, probably would be a lot better if I had stayed in America. <laughs> Just to be honest, but also knock on wood, maybe things would change. Um but yeah, I generally feel very invisible here. And it's not, I, I, I don't think I'm the only person who feels that way. Yeah. <laughs> That's just me. I think you're right. They don't come up to you the way that it happens overseas. You know, where I'm from in the Middle East, if, if a man likes you, you know he likes you. There's Yeah. What is that about? And you can be giving all the signs. You can be doing the, you know, batting your eyelashes. You can be smiling. You can be doing everything and be like, dude, I'm giving you the green light. <laughs> What's your green light, Christine? What are your green light actions? What is, what is oh. it? How do you signify that you're into someone? Oh, I think I'm Like, be... are you dancing? Are you like, you know? Well, not necessarily dancing. I feel like dancing is just something I do anyway. It doesn't really mean anything. Um <laughs> But I think if I'm a bit touchy with someone, like, right. and if I'm laughing at your jokes, even if they're not funny, that's a good indication <laughs> that I'm into mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Nice, what nice about you? Tell some bad jokes. <laughs> um, yeah. Mine's a vibe. Mine's like a look, you know, we've got to lock eyes and, and kind of have that vibe. And, and I'm kind of letting you know, uh, and my current partner is a, is a British person and they, it was like pulling teeth. He was so polite. Um, really? And I'm like, hey, I like you. And he's like, mm-hmm. 
And I'm like, give me something back, buddy. Like, surely you like me back. She's like, mm-hmm, I do. So uh, yeah, it took it took some time. Hmm. Well, in Zimbabwe, I think it's quite similar to what Nadine, what you were saying, like in the Middle East, if a guy likes you, they will let you know. Similar thing in Zimbabwe, generally speaking, although you might be one of many that they like, that's the only caveat. So you might you might just have to take a number and wait your turn. Um but in America, I also did find that they were quite subtle with it. But I generally found that the starting the conversation was easier. Or even when I traveled to Europe, just having a normal conversation with, with a stranger was a lot easier to just to start. I don't know what it is here where it's, it's, it's really tough. Mm-hmm. But, you know. This is just my personal experience. I'm sure other people are having a, a really great time and people come up to them all the time. But <laughs> this uh, this has not been the case for me. <laughs> <laughs> so your your character in Private Affairs and the character in Imperfect Paul Paul, which is the episode that where this episode is about, this episode of the podcast is about, um, they're both women of colour who partake in a one-night stand. Was it a conscious decision in your writing to represent a woman, uh, specifically a woman of colour, you know, unapologetically having that one-night stand or having that sexual agency? Um, Or was it just life, you know? Like was it a conscious decision to kind of, I want a bit more representation, we don't have a lot of it in the media, Um you know, for me as an Arab woman, I haven't seen a lot of Arab women having one night stands on the telly. Um, so I don't know. Was that something that you felt? I mean, hmm, I, I don't think it was a conscious uh, decision to say, I want this type of representation um, for Black women mm-hmm. necessarily. Um, I think it, it was organic. It was just that's how the story started uh, from the blog. Mm-hmm. But also, in retrospect and deciding how much to reveal, you know, how explicit to be, that was a conscious decision because not so much about, you know, being a black woman specifically, but just being a woman who, you know, wants and desires sex and yeah, is, is happy to, to have sex, you know? So that was something that I, I did think about, um, and I wanted it to be from the female perspective, the desire aspect of it, as well as the pleasure aspect. Because I think growing up um, in a society where I grew up, where it was conservative, at least on the surface, is quite conservative. And the messaging around sex was pretty much, well, don't do it if you're young, especially if you're a, a woman. And I understand there a lot of layers to why that is, you know, pregnancies, at a young age and who bears the the cost of that. Um, but it was also the message of like sex is for the pleasure of a man or something that you do to appease your husband or, you know, so it was a lot of framing around that, whereas men are not taught in the same way. Do, do you know what I mean? Like they are encouraged to just go about and to do whatever they want uh, without any... Um, repercussions or anything of that nature but women were very much were told to be chaste and um deny or not even acknowledge that you have sexual desires yeah I, I agree um so do you think those different rules for different genders still apply yeah in terms of engaging in in one night stands yeah 
Yeah, I I still think there is still a lot of judgment, especially for women. I was quite surprised, actually, when I wrote uh, Private Affairs and I was writing the script and I was thinking, Uh, I wonder if this is going to be antiquated. You know, uh, there's a conversation in there where they're talking about uh, this double standard, right? Between men, women, who gets the label of being a slut or whatever. Um, And I remember thinking, oh, geez, like this is going to be so outdated by the time it comes out. (laughs) But then Cardi B and um, Megan Thee Stallion dropped uh, their song. What was the name of their song? WAP. WAP, yeah. Yeah. And I remember the reactions to that on the internet. People were really upset at these girls for expressing what they like sexually. And I was like, oh, okay. So, yeah, this is still a thing um, that we're not even allowed to talk about what we want to do, even though men in rap have been doing the same exact thing for how long? Forever, right? Yeah, forever. Forever. So I still think it's a thing. Yeah. Unfortunately. If you were going to seduce somebody, what soundtrack would you put on? <laughs> okay, so I have a whole playlist. Um, <laughs> so, go, girl. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Okay, let me try and think. Oh, okay. D'Angelo, how does it feel? Nice. How does it feel? Yeah, I think that is... A pretty hot song. Yeah. Is that your vibe? Yeah. So if you put that on for someone, is that like, hey, baby? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think so. I think they would, if they don't get the hint yeah. after that, then I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the, um, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, uh, when I was in my my starting, my dating, hooking up kind of, you know, starting to, to date people. There was an album by Portishead band, um, which was very, very sexy at the time. And it was the code. If someone put that album on <laughs> Glory Box, that was it. You knew. It like, was on like a scone. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is it. This is the, the hookup album. Um, you know, so I was wondering what your hookup album was, but D'Angelo is perfect. Um yeah. What is your best or worst hookup dating story? Do you have one? The problem is, for me, they start off great and then they just descend into trash. So, <laughs> What happens? Tell me. Give me the juice. I think, you know, it starts off um, like light and fun and just, you know. But then when you want to date someone like seriously then you have expectations or you know I raise my expectations in terms of like can you respect me and you know honesty integrity and yeah some guys are like that it's too much you're asking for too much (laughs) the minute you have the real talk it's out the minute yeah the minute you're like hey can you just like have some integrity (laughs) no no no. Sorry, what is this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they don't want it. <laughs> this is too intense, too fast, man. Right? Yeah. Day three. So that's, <laughs> exactly. That's what happens a lot of the times, unfortunately. But again, knock on wood. I don't want to curse myself here. Yeah. I'm knocking for you, girl. <laughs> uh, and what about uh we're talking 2023? Are there good apps? Are there bad apps? Do you like dating on dating apps? Um, I think it's it's something like I remember back in the day because <laughs> I'm 
old now. Um, when the apps first came out, it was something that was looked down on, you know. But now I think it's just something that people accept as another way of meeting people. What I didn't like about the app experience, though, was that it was just very tiring. It's like, you know, when you have to go shopping at a place um, that's like a clearance rack and you have to like dig through so many things to just find one thing that might be okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. that's how yeah. it felt it's like. It's not even me. like the golden shirt or anything. It's just like one that isn't ripped. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's what it felt like to me. It's a numbers game. You have to put yeah. in work. So it started feeling like work. Um, and I felt like I was having the same conversations over and over again. I don't know if you've experienced that as well. Where you're just like, hi, how are you? What are you into? Yes. What's your favorite color? What do you do? Yeah. You know. <laughs> And you, you know, every conversation is like blah, blah, blah. And you, right? So mm-hmm. it just became very tiring. And yeah, I just wasn't finding really good connections on it. So yeah, yeah. So now I just rely on organic methods, which explains my chronic singleness, I suppose. <laughs> so. so what are the organic methods that you used or use? <sighs> I occasionally leave my house um (laughs) (laughs) put on some makeup try to look presentable talk to people yeah talk to people right Mm. yeah try start Mm. conversations but do you do you like let your friends set you up that's actually a good like I don't think I've really tapped into that enough Um, yeah I mean, they know my situation, so I would hope right. that they would <laughs> direct people my way if they came across someone worthwhile. I'm going to now. Yeah, please I'm do. Be like, Put the PSA yeah, out there. Yeah. The DMs are open. I'm, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to go through my Insta list after this. Just be like, mm-hmm. uh, so who, who, what's your ideal date and who is your ideal date? <sighs> ideal date or like a fantasy date? Do you mean like an actual person or like... What is the archetype I'm looking for? Give me either. Okay. Archetype. Uh, you know, it's more about character. At this age, it's more about their character. Um, and do we just, do we vibe? Do we have similar values? Um, are they someone, respect is huge for me. Mutual respect for each other. Um, integrity, honesty, consistency. We got to have some consistency yeah, I think if those things are in place, we can we can work on something. Yeah, I'm not asking for a lot, you know. You're really not. Like I, I was expecting <laughs> like a, you know, they've got to be six foot one and they've no, got to wear this coat no. and yeah, good character, good heart. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So say you're on a date and you definitely don't want to hook up with this person. What's your exit strategy? Mm. Do you have one? Like, do you have like a friend on standby to like? call you crying or <laughs> I've heard about that no I usually just say okay thanks this was fun and then I leave you just wrap it up quickly yeah just wrap it up and and go yeah I don't come up with you know stories about why I need to go I just go just that's it I'm done yeah thanks handshake <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> They'll yeah, get it. They They'll vibe. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about if you hook up with someone and have a one night stand and you don't want to see them again? Have you ever had that happen? No, that hasn't. You know, I was actually thinking about this. Yeah, what were you thinking? <laughs> Tell me. Yeah, it, it usually goes well enough that we want to see each other again. Okay. And then it morphs into a situation ship and then it just derails. Um, <laughs> that's that's the cycle. How? What is derails? Derails, it's, yeah, it goes back to uh, expectations come into play and real life comes into play as well. You know, so you might be busy, you might have work to do, things like that. Life happens and then all of a sudden it's not as fun as it was before. And yeah, conflict arises. Do you negotiate it? Is there a talk? Is there like a, hey? Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's also part of what makes dating hard is that everything is a negotiation. Um, or at least it feels like everything is a negotiation these days. Yeah, I was saying that I want to get it all on the table. I want to know where you stand on everything. And then I can decide, like, am I just going to sleep with this person and then, like, you know, back away? Or am I not even going to bother sleeping with them? This is not a, you know, so I, I like to know all the things. But do, do people feel like like you're interviewing them? Yes, but that's a them problem. <laughs> no, but in a in a polite way, like I'm I'm you know I'm asking them about themselves. Like you know, people love to generally talk about themselves unless you put them on a podcast and put an SBS audio banner behind them and try to push them to talk about themselves. Um, can we talk about cross cultural dating one more time? Sure. What What are some of the difficulties about cross cultural dating? There can be quite a number. Um, expectations, mm. um, is, is something that I think can, can creep up as well. Um, like what? Like, for example, if you come from a more conservative, um, culture and you're dating someone who's a lot more open, they might be more, they, they might take things Um, you know, more for granted that, oh, this is totally okay. Like, you know, we can do this, you know, Um, whereas someone who's a little bit more conservative, you might be like, whoa, 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 this is like a lot for me, like what you're going for. Let's reel it back in. Right. So uh, some of those things can come up. Um, And then as well, like, you know, thinking about like in the future, like if we're talking about dating in the relationship, uh, now you're talking about families, how involved of families in your relationships and what are the expectations of family involvement some cultures families are just you know like parents things of that nature they just kind of exist on the outside some people it's very integrated and the expectations that you're going to be spending a lot of time with the family um it, it can be challenging for someone who might not have grown up in that concept of um, uh, your community is your family. And, you know, they're trying to understand why are you helping this extended relative? Have you ever dated someone from your own cultural background? Yeah, yeah, heaps. Yeah, does it work? It's (laughs) pros and cons. (laughs) Yeah. There's no easy win here. Why? What what do you mean by that? Like, so I understand what you're talking about because I'm also in between two cultures. But for listeners that don't know what you're talking about, 
what what do you mean by there's no easy win here? There's no easy win because you can date outside of your culture and there's certain things that you can miss, right? Like just, yeah, cultural references, how you grew up. And um, even if it's things like, you know, same or similar taste in music, food, right? A lot of those things that bring a sense of familiarity and comfort. Sometimes you don't get that when you're dating outside of your culture, but what you do get is insight into another culture, which can be exciting, which can be, um, you know, it can broaden your perspective and your knowledge and appreciation for the world and people in general, right? So you're not as siloed in your perspective. Um, When you're dating within your own culture, I find for me, specifically if I'm going to date a Zimbabwean, Black Zimbabwean guy, that the expectations are a lot higher for me uh, that I have to meet in terms of, particularly when you're getting to the stage of introducing families, they're going to have expectations of how I behave and um, expectations around how much I know my culture, which can be difficult if you're someone who is an expat, right? I don't know if you can relate to what I'm saying. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Uh, for me, we have expectations as a woman, um, mm-hmm. you know, my my care and my home and my, uh, you know, m- cultural rules, I guess. So yes. Yes. are very important in my culture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which I've let go a lot of. Um, so I pick and choose. So I don't think I could ever date someone, you know, from my culture that's quite traditional. It would just never work. Mm. you know, for me, you know, so there are things that, that wouldn't necessarily make a very traditional partner's family happy. Um, so I'm mindful to just, my life will be easier if I don't go there. Um, yeah. 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 I think, you know, I think it's good that you have the self-awareness and I think it's, you know, understanding, um, yes, you can like someone, you can even love someone, but are you compatible? That's a big question. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you something that we ask everyone that comes on the podcast. Um, how do you define erotic? Um, just I'm, I'm thinking of like a song right now. I'm thinking about FKA Twigs, the song Hours, where she's like, I could kiss you for hours. Yeah, that's, yes. that's what I'm thinking. Yes. Uh, when, when I think of erotic. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. And is that what is erotic to you? Yeah, but, you know, actually, I did hear a very interesting definition or alternative definition of erotic from um, Esther Perel. And she was talking about how eroticism, you know, it's not just in a sexual sense, but it can also be just the excitement and thrill of novelty which I kind of like that as well. Yeah. Um, so the excitement yeah. and thrill of novelty. Mm-hmm. I like that. Thank you so much for talking with me today uh, on the Erotic Stories podcast. Thanks, Nadine. Is there anything else you'd like to add or tell me or uh, confess <laughs> or? No, I think I've said too much. Okay. No, that's not a thing <laughs> unless your parents are listening. <laughs> they will never know about this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. <laughs>
Moving on from real-life hookups to how they appear on screen, our next guest is an intimacy coordinator on Erotic Stories, Caroline Casper. She's worked with actors on set, bringing the sexy to sex scenes, whilst making sure that that process is safe and comfortable for all the cast and crew. Caroline, hello. Hi there. Great to meet you. What is an intimacy coordinator? What exactly do you do? Yes, just like a fight director would go in and choreograph a fight scene or a choreographer would choreograph a dance scene, we as intimacy coordinators and intimacy directors, which is the stage terminology, we go in and we sculpt scenes of an intimate nature. So you wouldn't give two actors one a knife, one a gun and say, okay, go for it. You'd want to make sure that all the movements that are doing are furthering the story and telling the story. Same with intimate scenes. Ask the question why a lot. Why this moment? Why now? Why this action? What does it tell us about the characters? How does it further the story? What do we need to see? What do we want the audience to feel? What are we revealing? Sometimes actors may be comfortable to improvise and do intimate scenes like that, but it's great to have a third party sitting there going, actually, that's great, but we don't need that right there now. It's a little bit indulgent to do that. So it's like being a super sensitive set of eyes and ears and feelings on set, right? Yeah. And watching out for any emotionally activating things. Sometimes we don't know when things are going to be emotionally activating. So a lot of our study and work and continuing work is being trauma-informed practitioners so that we can recognize just little body things, little signs that we may need to take a break or just check in with the actors. And very, very often, if we're given the information and we know exactly what's being asked of us, that might be enough, even if it's potentially emotionally activating for an actor, say um, a non-consensual sex scene. Sure. But they may have enough their needs might be met enough that they can do it in the context of the story. Mm -hmm. So this all sounds very practical and very like, you know, defined and and rules and kind of all of this, but what makes it sexy? How do you contribute to making those scenes, especially in erotic stories, sexy? A lot of it is in breath. A lot of it is in eye contact. A lot of it is in the quality of touch. What are we trying to say with the quality of touch? So say if it's a stroke down an arm, is it a light nurturing touch? Is it um, you want to just feel what that person feels like, like their muscles, their holding hands is another another one. At the beginning of a relationship, you hold hands completely differently to the way you would in a 20-year relationship. So it's about finding out, you know, that exploratory thing. And I think that's Again, it's a collaborative process about how do we make it sexy. We've got cinematographers that are framing it using lighting in certain ways. We've got particularly in things like Walking Gambit and Bound, such a subjective lens. So we're concentrating. I can't remember if this was a shot or not, but it could be just a hand across a chest. It could be feeling the hair and maybe, you know, it's those sort of moments that it's about connectivity. And that's what makes it sexy. It's not the act. It's actually about the connectivity. Is it different having to think of, you know, more than two or three people at a sex scene at once? You know, because Walking Gambit had several people on in a scene. Um, 
was that different to let's say in Imperfect Pawpaw where you've got this couple doing, you know, creating this one thing? How, how did that differ? Uh, just logistics really. I would look at, yeah. okay, so these two people are here. What's brought them here? What sort of act would that be? Mm-hmm. And then beginning, middle and end really, if you like, just like a scene. So like a yeah. little, little, lots of little mini vignettes or mini scenes happening and then obviously the, the with our main characters, that sequence is a little bit longer, but essentially the same. It's just more work when you've got yep. more people. And literally down. running through the bushes, following the camera and running in, or I remember hiding in the bushes below a few of the couples that were there, and particularly when they then walked in to watch a simulated sex act and people would come in to watch. It was quite, but it was like counting down the beats. When do we need them to appear yeah. and what draws them in? breath, sound, all of those sorts of things. How do you get your actors to let go of feeling awkward? What is it that you do? You know, I'm sure there's a process, a theatre process, you know, to get them in, do do you prep them to get into the role or do you work with them that closely? How do you guide them to let go of all that awkwardness and that unfamiliarity, that's not a word, but, you know? Yes. So very, very often actors have never met each other before they step onto set. Again, Erotic Stories was a little bit different. We did have rehearsal, but the first thing that we do that I was able to do with all of those actors to create those relationships was what I call, and we call, I call agreed touch and consent. So we take a moment and we go through our personal bodies as you, not as the character yet. Where are you okay to be touched? What does that feel like? What's the intensity of the touch? So do you work with them both together yeah. or do you work with one at a time? No, both together. So I would have an initial t- chat individually. Mm-hmm. So I would chat with the director, then I individually chat to the actors. Mm-hmm. If there's anything that I need to filter through to costume, barrier items or intimacy garments, right. that comes out of the chats, nudity parameters, what they're willing to show on screen comes into that. Then I have a session with the actors together. And for erotic stories, I did a long, much longer process with them which it was agreed touch and consent. So it's about the other actor touching their scene partner on different body bits and asking if it's okay. Is it okay if I touch your shoulders and an intensity scale? And that actually built, we also do a, we do, we do a thing that um, stunties and fight people do too. It's tapping in and tapping out of work. So we, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's often includes sound, but we tap into the scene and then it becomes about character. Right. We depersonalize it using yep. anatomical terms as much as possible, clinical terms or phrases that the actors might be happy using sure. for those acts. And then, because we're not really interested in seeing people's personal sexual behaviors on yeah, screen. Yeah, we want the character, we right? We want the character. And that's what yeah. my work often is, is building what that character behavior would be with the actor, mm-hmm. obviously with the actor. Yeah. And then at the end, after the rehearsal or after we shot the scene, we tap out of the scene to say, thanks, I'm going to go back to my life now. So you said something about covers. Intimacy garments. Intimacy garments. What is an intimacy garment? Okay. So um, very funnily, they're often referred to as modesty garments. Right. But there's nothing modest about them. <laughs> there ain't anything modest about them. Again, nudity parameters, but it, say an actor does not want nipples or areolas shown on screen, so we have nipple covers mm-hmm. or maybe even like sometimes stick-on bras we can use. Some, if you want a backless scene, we would have a stick-on bra at the front with some tape 
for genitalia, there's a few things. They're basically often, if we need side, buttock, side, hip shown, and that's okay with the actor, we might use like a sideless G-string. Oh, yeah. A hebu or a terrible names, hebu or shibu. I'm going to call them all hebus. Yeah. But they're a sideless, strapless G-string that's attached with tape. Sometimes I use bikini bite to adhere them and then tape over the top. Um, so it's bits of things that you stick on the body. There's lots of bits. And we, yes. So that you can still move freely. You're not sort of flapping around in the in the breeze. Someone with external yep. genitalia. There's a fabulous apparatus that costume people use called a cock sock. And it's basically. Yeah, I was about to say, is there a dick sock? But it's already named cock sock. It's a cock sock. And it's like a coin purse. <laughs> We are with cos- a string. With a string, where um, testes and penis go in and tied around. But that's yeah. <laughs> the costume department was incredible and asked me before we started, what was my preference, and we sourced my preference, and they were incredible. So they were what we used for external genitalia when we needed all of that was a much more padded and secure version of the sideless g-string kind of thing. Right. It was kind of like a hybrid between a cock sock and a G. So it came up uh, onto the pubis a little bit more, but then drew around the testes and scrotum. So, yeah. Amazing. Do actors ever want to not wear them? And is that something that's discussed? I have had one situation where that was the case, but mm. she was on a, she was doing a scene on her own. Mm-hmm. And as long as the crew were okay with it, that's okay. That's okay. That, yeah. yeah. As long as everyone is agreed. Do people get you know, I mean, it's not necessarily sexually aroused, but physically aroused. Like, are we dealing with erections on set yeah. and stuff like that? Can do. Yeah. Can do. And is it okay? Like, it's just professional, right? No one's like just pointing at your dick or anything. No, just call a timeout. As soon as. Do you? Do they call? Do they call? Do you call? Does the other actor? What's going on with that? Generally, an actor will, and we have this discussion beforehand because it's on everybody's mind, mm. and there's nothing you can do. It's a normal physical response oh. to any sort of touch or stimulation. Now, we don't do genital to genital. We do not do hand to genital, nothing. Like, yeah. Great. And we don't swap bodily fluids. And even kissing with tongues is negotiated. If I can't see it, I can't choreograph it. If yeah, we don't, don't need it. it. But there are some scenes that it's better with. So if the actors are okay, great. But it's all discussed beforehand. There's no surprises. It's all negotiated. Yeah. Yeah, just like anything. Tell me about the tricks of the trade. Lighting, music, you, the actors. Director. Give me a bit about that. Yeah. So list for me, what are the things that are involved to really creating a sexy scene or an intimate scene? Well, every department is involved. From a movement point of view, it's working out where the movement is coming from, what is the quality of movement, what is the intensity of the movement, and then we use anchoring things for us to be able to get that sort of movement happening. Cinematography, the camera frame, like how are we framing it? What sort of shot is it? Where are we seeing it from? And then adjusting those. So if you're in a bath scene and you've got a turnover, you might have a lower angle so that you can cover nipple and areola if that's not part of it. Lighting helps a lot. How bright are we? Is it, what's the mood of it? The answer to that question is it depends and it's huge and every job and every film is different Yeah, and we work accordingly. Caroline, I'm going to get a little personal with oh, you. Okay. And do your personal lovers sometimes feel like you're mapping their moves for research? <laughs> like, have you ever had anyone go like, are you doing that? You know, like, 
yes and no. Yes, of course. Yes? Of course I use my partner. If I've got a scene coming up, oh, no, he, he will help me. If I've got to work out where a movement's coming from or what the quality of it is, sometimes yep. I'll get him to be forensic about how the body's moving. Amazing. I just got to work this out. I've got to get a turn. They turn and I'm, <laughs> can we work out the sheet, Corey, here so that I'm not wasting time on set, you know. Um, yeah. We help each We lean on each other all the time. I tell you what has been the biggest difference for me is I never asked if it was okay previously. Now I do. Yeah. So that's something you've learnt as part of your role? Something that I've adopted that is a huge part of the role. And I think in... And you've brought that to your bedroom? Is this what we're saying? Like you've brought this home? Yeah. 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 I just in every day, just, yeah. 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 In, in the way, yeah, in the way that we relate physically with each other, where normally you just kind of launch in and everything's supposed and assumed and now I, yeah, yeah. You're a little more deliberate, you're a little more thoughtful, considered. I think respectful. Um, respectful. Not, not assuming anything and, yeah. Mm. Are there any signature moves in the industry that are trademarked? Like we can look at a scene and go, oh, that's a Caroline Casper. <laughs> I know she always gets her actors to do this. You know, <laughs> may, I'm, I'm being dramatic. No, no, that may happen in a few years as me, people work more and more. Obviously, people have their own personal aesthetics, but no, I don't see not that. Yet. Way. Not yet. And in fact, there has been so many things. I remember watching one scene and just jumping onto the credits to go, oh my God, that was incredible. Who did that? And then, then follow their work. Because some, yeah, yeah, when you go, oh, that was. How did they do that? And I think a lot of people think, oh, there you, you do this and then you do this and you do this. In some things it is like that, and but mostly it's so bespoke to the project that you're working on. Every director's different. Very intuitive. Very intuitive. Um, and that is why you often won't see intimacy coordinator. You'll see more experienced people with life experience on sets as an intimacy coordinator, experience and youth and having a lot of life experience to draw on and communication skills is essential. And our final question is something that we ask everyone on the show. What do you find erotic, Caroline? You personally, how do you define erotic? Wow, I find connection incredibly erotic. Eye contact, someone looking at someone with such desire and love. Well, maybe not love at that, but just like cannot get enough of that and just that seeing the whole person that's what I find erotic I love that thank you so much for joining us today Caroline Katzbach intimacy coordinator on erotic stories and many other shows thank you so much that's an absolute pleasure oh I loved it you've been listening to erotic stories the podcast with me Nadine Schmerle For more chats like these, subscribe to Erotic Stories, the podcast on the SBS Audio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch Erotic Stories, the show on SBS On Demand. People enjoy sex scenes, okay? Even if it's under the, (laughs) even if they don't want to admit it. (laughs) 